Hi everyone, I'm Laura and welcome to Think Law, a podcast series brought to you by four LSE students where we interview people from different legal backgrounds to guide aspiring law students. In this episode, we're exploring the path to a career in human rights and international law. I'm delighted to have Fanny Coles with us, a graduate in human rights from LSE and international law from La Sorbonne, who uh, brings diverse internship experiences from NGOs, international organizations, and government bodies. Fanny and I actually met at LSE two years ago when we were both part of the United Nations Society of LSE and we were both organizing events uh, on careers to work in international organizations. So it's quite amazing to see that two years later you've uh, had those experiences yourself. (laughs) So (laughs) hi Fanny, Um, thank you for for joining us today. Um, Could you please share with us a brief overview of your of your educational journey, career trajectory, and your current roles? Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Um, So I started with a dual bachelor's degree in political science and law at La Sorbonne. And then I started my master's degree in France because master's degree in France are two years long. So I did the first year um, with the second term away, I was on the Erasmus uh, exchange program in Prague, in Republic Czech. Uh, during my time in Prague, I did do, I did an internship for an NGO where I was um, counseling asylum seekers um, who arrived in Czech Republic and who were seeking to get international protection or asylum. And after this first year of master, I took a gap here to come to the LSE, where I did the MSc in human rights and politics. So this was not a legal master. It was in the sociology department of the LSE. Um, the reason why, was that since I, I undertook before that a dual bachelor's degree in law and political science, I kind of wanted to keep this dual education and this dual mindset, mindset, sorry. Um, So this is why I did it. Plus I also wanted to kind of specialize myself um, because international law is very broad and I've always been interested in human rights. So it was, it was a way for me to both specialize and continue um, my education on a more um, political science, sociology, uh, path and after my year at the LSE I came back to Paris where I finished my first master's degree in international law that I just finished um, last September <laughs> yeah so that was for education uh, for internships so I already mentioned the one in Prague um, I also had to do an internship as part of my second year of master's in France because he was like kind of a professionalizing degree. Um, I did it at the International Federation for Human Rights. Um, the headquarter is in Paris and I was part of the development and partnership team. And after that, I did a short internship at UNESCO. I was working for the um, delegation of Albania. Um, and I covered two main events. I covered the executive board of the of the autumn executive board because there are two per year. 
as well as the general conference. So it was a short internship, but very interested because I was very lucky to be there during a period where there are there were a lot going on. And now I am, I finished my um, internship at UNESCO. So end of November, the time we're recording this episode is um, the eleventh of December, and I will um, start um, the Blue Book program at the European Commission in March, um, where I will be of the policies against human trafficking in Europe. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for delving a bit into your education and some of the internships you've had. Um, so my next question is more about where did this interest in human rights and international law come from? Did your passion drive your career choices from the beginning or was it your studies that um, made your uh, career aspiration evolve? Um, so I've always wanted to work in a national environment. Um, I've especially, I was always drawn to the United Nations. Um, and I mean, the main purpose of the UN is to promote and defend human rights. Uh, regardless of which agency in the UN we are in, uh, it's a it's a terms that always come back in all the speeches, etc. So um, I think this is why I kind of wanted to specialize in human rights, and I thought it made a lot of sense for me to study both international law because it's essential to work in the UN, but also human rights because it's kind of the aim of. Um, this organization right of course um <laughs> yeah i mean i i reson it resonates a lot with what i want to do so um yeah good to, to hear from someone who has uh, similar uh, aspirations so um i mean this field is quite competitive and it requires a lot of of steps in terms of experience and education so First, starting with your educational background, do you think the master's degree is essential to enter this field? Or have you heard of people or do you know whether it's possible to enter coming straight out of your undergraduate degree? I think it depends where you're from. Um, because when you mean entering this space, if you mean a national organizations, yeah. nationality is one big criteria. Um, and there are more competition depending where you're from. So I'm French, and French people are already overrepresented um, in the UN or even in the EU. So the more degrees you have, the more likely uh, you get to enter the institutions. But for example, when I was working at UNESCO, I was in contact with other interns from other delegations, and I talked with one intern from the Dan the Danish delegation, uh, and she only had one bachelor. And I know she she also uh, she told me that she got into the blue book. Um, she, she didn't go, but she got into the blue book like one or two sessions ago. So because it's a small country, um, I mean I don't I don't want this to sound wrong. She is very competent, but um. There are like quotas depending where you're from. Yeah. 
yeah so no, I, I would say I would say that um having a master's degree is essential especially if you're in law I think okay yeah no definitely and I think the nationalities um uh, aspect keeps coming up when it comes to international organizations so it's yeah in mind um so obviously you've uh, studied law at your bachelor's degree and you've done your master's in international law so have these um qualifications that you've had or academic background does this uh lead you to be able to qualify as a lawyer or um and i guess a, a broader question is do you know what are the steps to work in international law because it, it doesn't seem quite obvious uh at least as a lawyer if that's what you want to become okay what are the what are the steps to to practice internationally so I'm going to speak for France because um, becoming a lawyer is a different process um, yeah, between countries. Um, so I, I cannot, unfortunately, I cannot qualify as a lawyer after a master's degree in France. I would need to sit for the bar exam. And if I get it, then I have to go in a lawyer school for two more years. Um, it's not two years of schools because there are also internships in this. But it is, yeah, I do not qualify as a lawyer right now. Um, to, to be a lawyer in international law, maybe I'm not the best to answer because I haven't looked into it so much since I don't want to sit for the bar exam. Um, but I will, um, I think you can, like one thing you can do is be a lawyer for the workers of international organizations. So um, the staff of organi international organizations who have issues with their employers, which are the international organizations. Um, so it's kind of labor law, but at the international level, if I may say. Um, or you can be like, of course, you can be a human rights lawyer if you really want to work in defense and in um especially in, in international criminal court, then you need definitely need to be a lawyer and take the bar exam. I think if you wanna work with a just a law degree in the international organizations, you're gonna be more on the policy making sides okay. or um working for the legis the legal department of one organization. But you're not gonna have cases and like defending either victims or um perpetrators in right. the international court. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's a very fair point. So um as you said that if you don't wanna become a lawyer per se, uh I mean the paths to work in human rights at the international level are very extensive. Uh, yeah. you can start campaigning, communication, research, education advocacy activism and the list goes on so i was wondering you particularly which areas are you most interested in going or the ones that you've had experience in so with the fidh i definitely had experience on more the um, activist side mm -hmm. um so more like the advocacy side mm -hmm. um and with UNESCO, since I was in a delegation, 
it was also very, very interesting because I, I had a different point of view. I was more on the diplomatic side of human rights. Um, and I don't know about the European Commission because I haven't studied yet, but I guess it will be more on the policymaking side and trying to um, try national legislations to kind of bend to uh, European legislations in terms of human rights. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, I think it's important to try different things out before specializing in the sort of work you want to do um, for, for later. Yeah, so. the power dynamics are really different. Okay. Um, in NGOs, you're definitely... I mean, I was, I was about to say that you're not in the most favorable position in terms of power, but you also have the public opinion with you, which can be very powerful, I think, if you use it wisely. Mm -hmm. um, but in diplomacy, you de it's definitely um, more powerful, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting that you've had the, the experience in the different power dynamics. So you can see the, yeah, the, this field from different angles. Yeah. Um, do you know what your ultimate professional goal is or you're still figuring it, figuring it out? Um, I'm still figuring out. Um, I really want to pursue in human rights. And I think so far I've preferred international organizations over NGOs. Mm -hmm. So I would like to work for human rights in an international international organizations sorry um i don't know like which agency in particular or anything um but yeah that's the goal <laughs> amazing and just to to touch a bit upon your um academic path so how was your master's and lse in human rights um was it useful did you think this what was unique about the program that you liked or you disliked so yeah <laughs> I think it was coming from a legal degree it was very interesting and also challenging because it was very critical of law and very critical of international organizations um, and I think although it was challenging it also, I'm very aware now of all the issues that law can have and how hurtful law can be sometimes. So I would say that it would allow me to make better use of law. And we, we LSE is very much about post-colonial studies. Um, and I think it was very true when I worked at UNESCO, I could see like, um, that one of the arguments that um, most like, I don't know, African delegation use is how the Western countries can really act like post-colonial, post-colonizers sometimes. So all the critiques that I heard during my studies are critiques that are being told about the UN in the UN itself. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, I think it was very interesting. It was because it was very critical, yeah. and it also allowed me to develop my 
critical thinking, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, at LSE myself, I, I have experienced this this angle of being critical of, mm -hmm. of um, all the organizations, the systems, and how these systems reproduce themselves unless we change the, the way we view things and the dialogue. So I think, as you said, it's really important to, to have this critical mindset um, when making policies to to yeah make the best the best policy yeah. um well thank you for that so now I just want to move into extracurriculars because um obviously it's a very competitive field and you really need to see, fill your CV with with more experiences and build more skills so I was wondering what extracurricular activities did you engage in during your studies to develop the necessary skills to enter the field? Um, so if you had like some examples and some the sort of skills you've learned that you've put in practice during your internships, that would be very useful. Um, so at the LSC, I was in, just like you, I was in the UN um, society. Um, we were uh, career officers, and I was actually in a similar organization at La Sorbonne. It's called Sorbonne for the United Nations. Um, I was in the communication team first, and also afterwards in the what we could say is the also career officer um, function. I think what it is useful for, I think it got. Although my degrees were very theoretical and I didn't have any professional experience, the way these uh, societies are working were pretty much professional, although they were just student societies. So I think it kind of got me to uh, function and work in a, an environment that was a bit professional in terms of like how we communicate with each other, etc. Yeah, for sure. And I think... Or also some aspect that is really useful about these sort of experiences. It it kind of demonstrates your interest in working at the UN because if you've had in your CV some sort of link to the organization and showed motivation, it's it's a really useful way to yeah, yeah to prove that you're motivated basically. <laughs> um so uh did you have any do you have any tips on how to balance academics with extracurricular activities and also internship applications that can be quite um, heavy uh, to and time-consuming? Um, so I have really two different experiences because at La Sorbonne, the, the amount of classes we have is way higher than LSE. I had way more time at LSE, way more free time. I had a student job when I was at the LSE and I did not when I was in Paris. I just didn't have the time. Um, except this year, my second year of master's degree because it's the last year. So they're being more chill, I would say. But it was a good thing because I also had to find an internship to conclude my master's degree. So I had more time to, to do these internship applications. Um, but in this balance, I would also had to find some free time that is not uh, education, that is not extracurricular activities, and that is not internship applications, like really like rest rest time. 
Otherwise, none of the others is going to be efficient and good. So I would say it's because I, I, I was not doing that enough. And I think the reason I didn't have that much time was because I was not efficient enough. And the reason I was not efficient enough was because I was not taking enough free time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit of a loop that a lot of LSE students get themselves into. So, yeah, uh, I can. But it's something I learned over the years. Um, yeah, um, I'm, I got way better at this, I would say. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. Thank you. It's a very useful. <laughs> um, so now let's delve into your internship experiences. So first, um, can you tell us a bit more about um, your position at uh, the FIDH? Um, so if you can share some insights into the organization, the sort of task you were doing. And uh, on a second a second moment can you share with us how was the application process and how did you prepare for the interviews um for this position okay so my task i was um i was working within the development and partnership team so the main goal is to find resources for the ngo to work and to partner either with public or private um, sectors. So for example, we partner with the European Commission, we partner with, um, with foundations, we partner uh, yeah, with businesses, etc. cetera. Um, so my task consisted in finding those partners, especially new ones, um also to write um you know when they are like offers for example by the european commission you need to um prepare like a project to apply like if you want this fund which project is going to be founded by this fund that you want so really like having like a really precise project and there's a long report to fill in uh, so I was at, on the that was more at the end of my internship. I was kind of helping to draft this. Um, um, there's also you know like daily relationship with partners. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that was like the most important. Uh, as for the application process. Um, I just, there was an offer on their website where you had to send a cover letter and your resume and I send it and I had a first interview with my supervisor. Then I had another interview with her colleague because there was one day during the week I would spend with her colleague, which was more on the, um, individual donors part, like she, yeah, so not like big partners, but individual donors, like the public. And I also had a small exam, I would say, to do, but it was it was not much. They were just wanting me to to write a few a few lines, nothing bad. <laughs> okay, good. And what do you think were the skills that they were looking for for the sort of internship that that you did with them? I think they were really 
looking for drafting and writing skills. Um, this is at the end of my internship. This is what uh, my supervisor told me was one of the good things about me, is that she she said I would always really try to find the correct words, especially when we're sending proposals to the European Commission, for instance. Um, also, I think. I think we're going to come back to that later, but languages, speaking English is really important. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Thank you. Um, so now uh, your time at UNESCO. Um, so can you give us a bit more details uh, about your role there? How was the application process? And same, what sort of uh, skills were you, uh, were they looking for? Okay. So... I was in the Albanian delegation um, and I got like they they needed me for a very specific time. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast was to cover the executive board because Albania was running to become a member of the executive board. So we needed to finish the campaign as well as cover the general um conference of UNESCO, which takes place every two years. Um, and my main job was to draft and write, um, uh, not verbal, oh, okay. verbal, verbal notes. And it, they are like the official communication between delegations. And we use them, for instance, to officialize the support of one country towards Albania, for instance, for um, for their candidature at the executive board. So I had to write those and like give them to my supervisor who would send them to the delegations. And of course, I had to like go to some meetings, take notes, draft, draft some reports. Go back to process application. This one was easier because it was mostly through networking. Mm -hmm. So during my second year of master's at La Sorbonne, I had a, a class about international negotiations where we would, it was mostly immune. Like we would do, we would simulate um, international negotiations at UNESCO and at the World Health Organization. And the teacher was the current ambassador of St. Lucia to UNESCO. And she she knew the ambassador of Albania who was looking for an intern. So she just gave us the information that she was looking for an intern. And I directly applied to um, the Albanian delegation. I had to send a cover letter and a resume. And they called me. I didn't really have an interview. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, amazing. Well, quite straightforward. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean for I, once it was easier. <laughs> no, and I think it's something that it's not spoken about enough, but really the value of networking and really trying to get to speak to people. I mean, we both organized uh, well, we both organized events with with people working in in the UN and similar organizations and I remember like when you organized the um the career uh, yeah. the careers fair and a lot yeah. of professionals came in like they all kind of said the same like you really need to get to speak to people and 
build your 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 network and it really can make a difference when it comes to applications. It is true to a certain extent though, because for interns, networking can be for internships, sorry, networking can be useful for sure. But when it comes then to actually get permanent jobs in international organizations, the process is pretty formal. Um because they have obligations to publish the offers online and to they they are they have to open the offer to competition of internal with external candidates. Hmm. So even then if you want to evolve in the organization, you also have to keep applying. Right. So yeah, it is useful, but it's not the only thing, I would say. Yeah, of course. Um, and I was wondering, um, so what lessons did you learn from your experience at UNESCO? Uh, what was so unique uh, from working at that international organization? And also, what are the drawbacks from, from working in an organization such as, as UNESCO? Um, I think I really learned diplomatic skills. Um, also, like... It can it can sound maybe like not very important, but it is like how to like make a conversation with diplomats or ambassadors. Like you know, you have to fill in the conversation. So more on like professional talks that was really interested. Interesting, sorry. Um, the drawbacks. I think I mean we talked about like the the critics of the UN. Especially UNESCO is very slow and, you know, there was the general conference. They talked a lot. Every country made their speech. It was all beautiful. But then is something really going to happen? We'll have to see. Like sometimes I got the feeling that it was a lot of talks, but not so much actions. So that's one of the drawbacks of the organization, I would say. Yeah, no, definitely. It is something that comes up quite a lot when yeah with IOs. Um, so now I mean you haven't started your your traineeship program at the European Commission, but I guess for for those who are interested, can you tell us more about uh your future role and share with us about your the selection process and if you have any tips? Yeah. So I'm gonna the coordinator of policies against human trafficking in the European countries. Um, it's a small team from what I've uh, learned. Um, it's going to be a heavy topic. Um, I hope I'm not going to be uh, like too depressed at the end of this traineeship. Um, but I think my role is going to be do a legal research for sure about the, you know, the laws against human trafficking in each European countries. Um, as for the selection process, it's really formal. Again, there is one general application to the European Commission. There are two sessions each year. I'm going to be totally transparent with you. It was my third time applying and it was my first time getting in. 
So I would recommend to just keep applying, especially because they save your application. So it's it's a long application the first time, but you can you reuse it for the following times if there are some. <laughs> and um, there's a first filter on this general application. You have to be very careful because every information, every dates about like the length of your internships, etc. everything needs to be backed up by documents. So like even your diplomas, when you got it, when you got them, is it, the selection is made by AI. So AI is going to make sure that everything that you declared is true in your documents. So enter each information with with you like with your documents actually because these are going to be the, the proofs and they're going to be checked if you are eligible for the first um general application you will receive an email and then there's another application process starting this other process is lasts on 3 weeks there are three phases and like the platform with all the the job offers like the list of job offers uh is open during two days uh each week and you have two days to apply you can like put some offers in your favorites um you can look by cabinet by dgs by like theme whatever yeah you need to to apply you may right after the first phase this happened to me you may receive like an email from the service you apply to saying they're interested in your profile and they might do like an interview this I, I did this and they told me that I got in before the second phase started but they do recommend to keep like to continue applying to the second and third phase just in case because a yes from a service doesn't guarantee that the office of interns internship would, would actually give you an offer it's already a very positive side of course but just to be sure, uh, keep applying. And a few weeks after, I received the official mail from the Office of Internships saying that I got the, the intern in the service I applied to during the first phase. I hope it's clear. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's super clear. Thank you. Um, and how long will you be there for? Where uh, is it going to be? So... Um, so it's five months it's from the 1st of March until the 31st of July you can apply to different cities where the European Commission is uh, depends on the service you apply to um, mine is going to be in Brussels so very very classic <laughs> okay nice um, okay well thank you for sharing you sharing with us your insights into your professional experiences and your future ones so um, just to take a bit of time to reflect upon these internships, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, to what extent do you think grades matter in securing these internships? Um, I'm going to talk for the French system mm -hmm. uh, because I know it's different in other systems, but... In French system, they don't really ask for your grades. They ask for your diploma. Like they don't really look at either you got like how how well you did. They just check if you got the diploma. 
but I think it's important to have good grades all along because the better grades you get, the better master you get, for instance, like the better grades you get in bachelor, the better master you get in, and then the better internship you get thanks to your master. Like you have to see this more as like a long-term thing and how you build your education journey and your professional career you know, like one stone at a time. And like, if you have strong foundations, the rest will follow. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I was wondering, did you have colleagues during your internships from diverse academic backgrounds or did they all study similar things? Yeah, a lot of people study law. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm also biased because the people I know are also coming from my programs I studied with. So, mm-hmm. but like, I have two friends that were in my um, human rights and politics program at LSE that are currently working at UNESCO. Mm-hmm. I have one friend from my master's degree in international law that is working I in a delegation at UNESCO. Um but they were also like, I met people who've studied like philosophy, for instance, at UNESCO. I've met people who, especially because UNESCO also covers like science. They were people who studied like water and like stuff like this for very like specific programs. It's also good sometimes to have a very specific profile. Uh, but for FIGH, we were mostly um coming from legal backgrounds especially they're very like sensitive to the fact that you specialize in human rights because you know it's an activist human rights organization so they kind of look for you to to be really engaged with this um yeah okay yeah so i guess it's more about where you see yourself working within these organizations that are huge rights and of course I'm sure there's But I would say I would say it's really it made it easier to study international law, for instance, during the general conference, because there are a lot of procedural questions that delegation have to respect when they want to take the floor. Um once something is amended, if we can like reopen the topic, is it allowed by by the procedures, etc. So like being able to correctly read the procedures um that is helpful like even like ambassadors sometimes they don't know how it, work, how it works um but if you want to be more on the policy making side yeah maybe you don't need a law degree right um and now i was gonna ask which you have partly answered but what were the main distinctions from working in the NGO versus an international organization and uh, you also kind of responded to this already but which environment did you find more appealing and why okay so the main difference of first of all I would say the means and budgets (laughs) so like working for an NGO you like the only fund we have are, are like um the partner partnership we have or the public the individual donations where are whereas in 
uh, IOs, um, each member states um, contributes to the budget of UNESCO. The budget of UNESCO is not so big either. Uh, I don't know exactly the numbers, but you know, UNESCO is always complaining how much, how like that it needs more. Um, the second main difference is that you can be way more engaged and activist in NGOs than in diplomacy. You have to be more careful. Um, again, I was on the diplomatic side of UNESCO. I don't know about the secretariat, the part of like the programs and projects. I'm talking for the delegation and the diplomatic side. Um, but yeah, you have to be more cautious about your beliefs especially because you're talking on behalf of a country sometimes so your personal opinion do not matter which can be you know very uh hard for people and i totally get that um and i think what i loved about international organizations is that the environment is way more international than in ngos um yeah, I forgot the end of the question. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, which environment did you find more appealing? Yeah, so yeah, I, I like the IOS one better. Not better, but like more international, which is something I'm looking for. Um, but if you really want to be in something that is really engaged in promoting human rights, NGOs may be better for you yeah. because people are really passionate in NGOs. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so my next question is, do the internships that you've done or internships in general of feedback you've heard from friends and stuff, do they lead to job offers? And my second question is how important it is to have this internships on your CV to be able to get a permanent position in an international organization? Um, so as for UNESCO, I knew from the beginning that there was no job offers at the end because I was working for the delegation of Albania and I am not a citizen of Albania. So I could not be uh, engaged by the... Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Albania. Uh, for FIDH, I think it could have been possible, um, but it depends on the budget of the NGO. If they're looking for somebody at this time, there are many interns, so it also depends um, regarding the other interns. And for the European Commission, like with IOs in general, what you need to do often after an internship, if you do great, is to do is to be a consultant before actually getting um a staff like offer, permanent staff offer. So I don't know how it's gonna end for the European Commission yet. Um we'll see. <laughs> I'd like to stay if I could, but I'm not sure about this. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, I think it's, um, especially for NGOs, it's also about being there at the right time um, if they're, they do have enough funding to hire someone. Yeah. Um, and that 
is never always a case <laughs> um, when they have limited funds. So I totally. Yeah. Um, so this question is more about uh, where you've worked. So both of your experiences have been in the headquarters in Paris. Yeah. Um, and now you're going to Brussels, so you're also going to be in the headquarters. Uh, but I was wondering whether you ever considered to work uh, in the field. So maybe at regional offices or this sort of thing. Uh, if so, why or why not? So I think working on the field is mostly for humanitarian NGOs. Um, and I think you also one of the things that I'm liking is I only speak French and English. So and if I wanted for extent work to work in the regional office of FIDH in Latin America, I would need to speak Spanish. If I wanted to work in the regional office in Tunisia, I would have to speak Arabic, which I don't. So this is definitely something that is um, preventing me from going in regional offices. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess uh, I was, it was one of my questions actually, um, to what extent it's necessary to speak multiple languages to work in this field? It is crucial. Um, and I wish my education in France would have pushed me more to study languages because they are not very like being helpful and like not very pushing you to do it um you know my friends are always very impressed of my English and you know I'm kind of happy with my English too but then I got into UNESCO and I found out that Speaking French and English is really the bare minimum because everybody speaks at least three languages. I'm lucky because I'm French native and, you know, French and English are the two um, working language of the UN. So I'm pretty well covered. But all like all the stuff coming from other delegations, which is not a working language of the UN, they speak their native language and most of the time also English and French. Or Spanish. So they speak, yeah, at least three languages. Um, and they'll, yeah. yeah. So I would really advise to practice. I'm I'm actually current I'm currently trying to get back on board with my Spanish, but it's hard now. It's harder now. So the sooner the better. Yeah, no, that's very fair point. Um, so my last question about these internships, which I think is something that comes up a lot <laughs> about working in the field of human rights and international organizations, uh, were your internships unpaid? And did, if so, did the organizations you worked at offered a stipend? Or if they didn't, <laughs> uh, what advice would you give students that are taking on the unpaid internships? Or... Yeah, do you know about other organizations that maybe do pay if that wasn't the case? So my internship at FIDH was not paid, but I had what we call in France a compensation. Mm -hmm. um, it's really little, but at least it is something. Um, it's an amount of money interns have to get 
when the internship is longer than two months. And the longer you study, the higher it is. Okay. Um, for UNESCO, I was not paid <laughs> because it is an international organization. So they, they are not working according to French legislation, although it is um, in like it, although the headquarter is in Paris. Um, so my internship lasted only two months. And for the European Commission, I'm going to be paid and it's a pretty decent amount. So I'm happy because it's actually the first time I'm going to be paid like a decent amount working <laughs> since I started studying. So as for tips, how to get paid internships, I think the UNHCR pays like protection officers at least because I saw a job offer of protection officers that was pretty well paid for interns. Um, yeah, you need to check. The OECD's interns are pretty well paid too. Um, yeah, check each organization because it's, it's not the same for each of them. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Um, and yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, I just have one uh final question to to conclude the podcast, which is, uh, what advice would you give students that are looking to entering this field or navigating uh the application process for NGOs and international organization? Um. I would advise to be patient because you're going to apply a lot before getting something and you need to not become discouraged. Um, but I think at the end, it's worth it. Like it is a lot of applications, a lot of work, but at the end of the day, working for human rights is really inspiring. So yeah you need patience it's not easy but i think at the end it's worth all you know the attempts <laughs> well yeah no that's that's a very good uh positive note <laughs> so yeah thank you so much fanny for joining us today and we wish you the very the very best with your future endeavors of course thank you for having me